Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to We What? Comics and Pop Culture Podcast, coming to you from the not-so-solitary fortress that is WaitWhatPodcast.com. Here is our end of February episode, with Graham McMillan and I talking about the biggest piece of recent comic book news in some time, the surprise departure of Dan DiDio from DC Comics. We look at the career of the writer-turned-editor-turned-editor-in-chief-turned-publisher, what it might mean for the future of DC, and when we might really learn what happened and why. And, in our second hour, we talk about the upcoming The Fire Never Goes Out, a memoir in pictures by Noel Stevenson, Downfall by Anil Osano, and the final volume of The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, The Tempest, by Alan Moore and Kevin O'Neill. Comments on this episode are available at waitwhatpodcast.com. Send us your questions at waitwhatpodcast at gmail.com, and we invite you to look out for us on Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, and Patreon. As always... We hope you enjoy, and thank you for listening. Jeff Lester. Graham McMillan, hello. Hello there, how are you? Uh, Jeff, I have a question. Oh, yes. How does it feel to be the new publisher of DC Comics? Well, I have to tell you. I gotta tell you, you think it'd feel great? It feels a little weird. It feels a little weird. Really? Just, just feel a little unnatural? Yeah, it does. I gotta say, you know, for... for uh, Depending on whatever your feelings may be about Mr. Uh, Dan DiDio, uh, I do think that there is something to be said for being let go from your job with uh, plenty of notice, you know. <laughs> you mean not just like at, you know, first thing on a Friday morning? Yeah. Ye- yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Listeners, I'm sure you're listening to this now being, what's this? Uh <laughs> Yes, because that didn't, like, take up all of Friday or anything. Yeah, but just in case, you know, I mean, there's... That's true. Listeners, what we're referring to is the fact that um, publisher of DC Comics, Dan DiDio, as of yesterday, was no longer publisher of DC Comics. That's right. And that's kind of a big deal. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So, So, Graham, before we get into, you know, my... Uh, specialty, which is uh, baseless and rampant speculation. Uh, why don't we cover your specialty, which is what? What do you? What do you know that you can? You feel comfortable talking about and sharing with us in the oh in the what? God, what do I feel comfortable sharing? It's is genuinely a, a a thing. Yeah. Um, I will tell you about. I'll tell you a a limited version of what yesterday was like for me. Oh, please. So, at at uh, at a certain point of yesterday, uh, at, right about lunchtime, actually, um, I I get words from someone who who is likely to know mm-hmm. that Dantity was no longer DC. Oof. What makes us genuinely strange? Is that a couple of days earlier, I'm having dinner with someone who in a very offhand comment, like a very offhand comment, someone who does not work at DC, I should say, oh. um, in a very offhand comment, basically says, I'm really surprised Dan Didio still has a job. Wow. And it, it like the moment passes because it was, it had a certain context, but also it seemed very offhanded, like I said. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so I then hear this and my first thought is. That's a really odd coincidence. Yes. I'm, I'm going to reach out to people at DC. Mm-hmm. 
thinking honestly that they will tell me that it's not true. Right. Suffice to say, that's not what happens. Really? <laughs> yes. Um, what instead happened is TC uh, confirmed it. <laughs> Uh, which I did not expect. Like, I genuinely thought that they were going to say it wasn't true. Mm-hmm. And instead, there was a confirmation, and the confirmation came with, this is it. There's no statement. Mm-hmm. There's, there's nothing else coming. Right. This is it. So you can run this because there's not anything else to wait on. Yes. Right. Wow. Uh, Dandadio, literally it was, Dandadio was no longer DC Comics. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I responded with, you know, more or less like what happens, but also when when are you going to issue something? Right. And was told, point blank, we're not. Mm-hmm. That is the statement. Dantadio is no longer DC Comics. Hmm. And so I was like, oh, shit. And so, like, teach her run a story that was basically that sentence. Right. Um, And then I went back to fill in with some context. Mm-hmm. So we run this story. And it's a one-cent story, so it goes up literally maybe two minutes after I got the phone. Mm-hmm. Okay? And maybe another couple of minutes after that, I get a phone call from, again, someone who's not at DC Comics, mm-hmm. but someone who knows people who are. Mm-hmm. And they say, you don't know this, and you didn't get it from me, but Dandy was just being fired from DC Comics. Mm. And I'm like, I do know this. Like, <laughs> I literally just posted it. Right. And they're like, how did you get it? And I'm like, I can't tell you. How mm-hmm. do you know? And they're like, I can't tell you, but I can tell you that the all-hands meeting at DC to announce this is finishing in 10 minutes. Wow. Here's the funny thing about this. There's no all-hands meeting at DC. <laughs> like, three people at DC then told me that there wasn't one. Huh. So there's some weird information out there. Right. What then proceeds over the next hour, say, mm-hmm. is that two very different versions of why Dandy is no longer DC Ooh. start emerging. Mm-hmm. And when I say very different, I mean could not be more different. Mm-hmm. And the people telling me both are, again, no one at DC, mm-hmm. but people who might have reason to know. Mm. But also... A bunch of people who don't have any reason to know, mm-hmm. but are saying the same things. Hmm. So clearly, like, there are stories arising. Right. Um, and they are, and I keep hearing the same things mm-hmm. from people who should know, people who shouldn't know at the same time. Mm. Right? And it's really strange. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like, well, either... Neither of these are true, both of these are true, or there's one version and there's, like, rampant speculation and another thing. Right. Eventually, to not name names or outsources, I talked to someone at DC who was well-sourced enough to tell me things. Mm-hmm. And they basically go, no, neither of those are true. Oh, nice. Um, But I don't, I still don't feel comfortable talking about either of them. Oh, interesting. Okay. Sense. It sort of does because you were being uh, well, somewhat... Well, because uh, there may be elements of truth to them. Right. And in both cases, they involve other people. Mm, okay. And so it feels very much like something I sh- I don't want to talk about. Right. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. Um, 
But it's really strange because, again, both of these are coming from multiple sources. Mm-hmm. And both of them aren't true. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then by, by this point, a third narrative has emerged. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the third one might be true. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's uh, – I'll say this. I didn't read the, the Bleeding Cool piece in depth today. Mm-hmm. But from what I skimmed, it's not the Bleeding Cool piece. Mm. The best man knows the Bleeding Cool piece is not the reason. I see. Um, but it's this third version, mm-hmm. which, again, I'm not going into detail about because I'm going to be looking more in depth and might be reporting on it. Mm-hmm. Um makes me very nervous <laughs> oh wow interesting okay yeah huh uh insofar as there was a lot of people yesterday who were uh like i think the response to the deal going was like felt very uh overblown isn't the right word but there are a lot of people basically being like you know it's the end of an era mm-hmm. and a lot of a lot of creators being like it's it's because of like this man gave me my career right. um I if if what I've heard is true, and like I said, I'm going to be looking more into it. Mm-hmm. It genuinely might be the end of an era. Uh, interesting. Wow, Graham, you've got you're 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 teasing yeah, us know, with a lot a of dynamite. Yeah. So let's. Uh, but like I said, like I need. I don't want to say anything that's not true. Right. And there are genuinely damaging things mm-hmm. going on out there that are not true. And I don't want to even feed those by repeating them here, even say they're not true. Sure. Um, well, let's... Like, like, I'm really... Like, there's there's really... Like, there's, there's stuff out there that's 100% bullshit, mm-hmm. but I still don't want to repeat it, if that makes sense. No, of course. So how about this? Uh, depending on how comfortable we feel later, I might ask you some forward-facing questions but for right now let let's just talk about the 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 stuff we do know the backwards facing stuff what what do you think of hmm how would you sum up the the quote-unquote dan didio era um do you want to talk about the strengths and weaknesses of it yeah yeah definitely it is um how do i because i mean the deal okay so the deal became publisher in 2010 yeah before that he was vp i think executive editor that's right um but he became publisher in 2010 yeah and the next year was the new 52 Mm -hmm. right which was if nothing else bold Mm -hmm. some would say foolhardy um but, you know, with the benefit of hindsight, the New 52 was, mm, what's the best way of putting this? Well-intentioned, but misguided. Mm-hmm. To the point where, you know, five years later, they're doing Rebirth, which undoes a lot of the New 52. Mm-hmm. And Rebirth is, is it comes after Didio and Jim Lee and, and Jeff Johns basically doing an apology tour for the New 52. Right. You know? Uh and I think Rebirth worked. And, like, there's stuff in DCU that worked. And there's a lot of stuff during the Dio's reign that has worked. Mm-hmm. You know? Like, um, I think Wednesday Comics came when he was a publisher. Like, that's that was great. You mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. Um, Although I, I, I would say, wasn't that uh, 
That's Mark Shirell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, just want to really say because I felt that way. No, no, but I'm yeah. just saying, like, you know, uh, I think things like Mr. Miracle, I think, was amazing. Um, well, I I'll, think I'll roll it back f- further for my for myself. I mean, if we roll it back too far, there is uh, um, Identity Crisis, which I think is a bit of a, a, a. I think a lot of us would think of as a touchstone toward understanding. Um, both. So you're going all the way back to when he's like it just an editor in chief, right? I think so. I think so because okay. to me, I feel that one of the reasons why I would feel comfortable talking about uh, Dio's time at DC as an era and ways in which it was, um, uh, I don't want to say influential, but in 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 which it made some very big impressions on the marketplace. It, it, you yeah, know. It, it really like it really did. If you go all the way back to that, because he's basically been in charge for almost two decades. Yes. So I mean, in that sense, I feel like the New Fifty Two, because it was such an extreme thing. I think a lot of you know that's going to, of course, be the huge talking point. But like I said, like. Identity crisis uh, is, like I said, I, I think would be a, um, a thorny uh, a basket to unpack. But before we get there, I think even just um, I remember having a, a lot of excitement about myself, personally speaking, about DC from the time of um, was uh, the the $1 one shot countdown to infinite crisis. yeah countdown to infinite crisis those infinite those four infinite crisis titles that i quite enjoyed on their own and how they led up into um infinite crisis infinite right. crisis was not necessarily m- my favorite like i don't think it necessarily delivered on the promise but in terms of feeling like the dc universe was moving in a in an engaged and interesting way that that for me felt like mostly uh, exciting and and open and not necessarily super crazy and, and, and you know I thought it was it I think the Dio deserves a huge amount of credit for all of that and how it got moved forward um, and I think you can look at like that re- recurring right yeah right because I think you can say the same thing around. Uh, around New Fifty Two, as, as uh, arguably unsuccessful New Fifty Two was, mm-hmm. uh, but also around like Rebirth, like he, there was periodical, periodic check-ins around Black Blackest Night as well, for that matter, mm-hmm. and and Brightest Day when it followed. Mm-hmm. There, there was a sense of like every now and again he'd try and get everything back in line. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah i th- I think that I think that Dio had. Um, a strong sense of the need to get people excited and coming into the shops every week. Yes. He, I, he very much believes in the drug market. Yeah. Um, I think that he also, uh, in my mind had, um, a pretty good eye for talent and developing some, some pretty unorthodox talent, at least if I understand sort of the way things broke down uh he also it's clear had a very um strong love for 
uh, a lot of the creators that I love. I remember yes. you and I talking, and I think this was on air, on air, so it's not really dropping any secrets, but talking about what a big fan DiDio was of Jack Kirby. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, his and Kirby's seventies output in particular. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. I, I mean, I don't know for sure, but something like the Commandy project, which came out, seemed like was one hundred percent a passion project for him, and seemed it seemed so like it, and seemed so much from him that it's very. There's a lot of ways that uh, that I, I I want to give the Dio like a a lot of credit. I also remember there are things that, you know, super dramatically backfired. You know, the fact that he, on the one hand, you know, really, like, simultaneously helped and hindered Grant Morrison's final crisis, you know, literally with one hand and... Oh, yeah, yeah, like, kind of up on the was, other. Was, was a terrible idea, yeah. yeah. Completely terrible. You know... I, there there were a lot of things that uh, you know and and one of the things that he did in that as you know as listeners to the podcast know graham is at best starlin agnostic and i myself am a starlin booster and i think watching that didio very very clearly was a, seemed to be a starlin fanboy and put him in charge of several miniseries and tried to give him multiple shots at a place in sort of within the new 52 and, and the final crisis miniseries. I have a certain amount of, of fondness for Didio. There is also, of course, and I don't think that this is telling stories out of school. Um, you know, he was flighty. You know, he was, he got in, put his hands a little too aggressively in the mix, and he didn't necessarily um, stay the course and keep things consistent. There's a number of miniseries that seem utterly, incredibly baffling, um, in part because DiDio put people on there with a directive, then reversed the directive, then ended up like canceling both of those directives, leading them to sort of just be stuck in a death spiral. Yeah. There, there, there's a number of dead ends uh, in yeah. DC publishing. Yes. But when you, it's funny when you said flighty, I was also thinking like, it's no secret that Didio was not the easiest person to work with. Yes. And I think that is, important the stories that emerged very much from around the time that he took over of really terrible bouts of morale and morale on the creator side like it does not how do i put it it's the comparison is now super 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 unfortunate but Comparing Dan DiDio to Harvey Weinstein pre the Me Too era or pre the Me Too knowledge doesn't necessarily strike me as off the bat because people talked about Weinstein as a passionate advocate and also a passionate meddler that he could be incredibly creatively um, supportive and you know and also a bully like stories the stories of the new 52 development 
even with the the boldness of the idea so many people talked about in the postmortem, there was almost no time for these pitches to be put together. The stories that circulated about just how poorly creatives were treated. Um, yes. Well, I mean, you, you could just have to look at the books, right? Mm-hmm. Like, if you look at any New 52 book outside arguably Snyder and, and uh, Capullo's Batman. Right. Like almost everything else within like a year mm-hmm. has undergone significant changes of direction, if not significant changes of creative team and or cancellation. Yes. Just tremendous you know, like, and, and changes. People, people yeah. would say, creators would say, even the ones who got the gig, that the pitch process was basically you had almost no time to come up with the pitch for something and... And then it was like, that's great. Your pitch has been accepted. You have to get this book done now because your first issue is already overdue. Yeah, exactly. And those are the people who, quote unquote, won. There were people who lost significant name creators who pitched and literally weren't told anything, found out what, how they, how things went when, you know, the creative teams were announced. So like... Just a tremendously, um, you know, strained. It it was interesting seeing the amount of praise on uh, Twitter for Dan DiDio in a way, just because I I know that there were a lot of people that had... His noses were put out of joint. Yes, to to put it mildly. here's, Here's the counter argument to that, which is... I think Tadio's flaws are often talked about. Mm-hmm. And I honestly think that his strength... And I'll, I'll come out and say it. I like Tadio personally. Mm-hmm. Like, I've, I've had a chance to talk to him on a number of occasions, and I always enjoyed talking to him. Yes. He was, don't get me wrong, overbearing. Mm-hmm. He was loud. Mm-hmm. He was he was definitely someone who sort of talked at you, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but I have heard numerous stories and i've told you some off the air mm-hmm. that like are not my stories to say publicly right but things that Dio has done that are really like a kindness far beyond what he had to do yes no 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 absolutely you know? right right but right even even outside of that there's a number of people who like i saw Kali Abner basically be like i wouldn't still be working in comics if it wasn't for Dio. Mm-hmm. you know like americans have said similar things like there are a number of creators that Dio for whatever reason took personal interest in and very aggressively courted and then protected once they were there. Yes, no, absolutely, absolutely. And and I, I hope that that was kind of what I was trying to say. What's fascinating I, 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 is, unfortunately, and the thing that I think is interesting about the deal is both those sides uh, intertwined. And I have to admit, I mean, to give you all credit, Graham, I definitely feel that through the years, me talking to you and hearing stories of those experiences and, and things, it gives me, I think, a full, a more fully blown appreciation for DiDio in many ways. I, I think he's yeah. also... And it's kind of a shame that, like, these things are secret, do you know? And, like, and, they, and they, sh- they should be, like, what these things are, are private mm-hmm. matters. Mm-hmm. Um, like beyond the the Dan Didio-ness of it, mm-hmm. like the private matters that there are responses to circumstances that aren't public. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
it, it's also the sort of thing that like you find it out and you're like, oh shit, okay, that like that's just a nice thing to do. <laughs> like, yes, but he, I guess what I'm saying is he he has a complicated legacy. Yes, I think very, because very he's much. a complicated guy. Yes, yes, very much. I think that's that's honestly the 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 clearest way to put it. Right. Because you have, like I said, he's done these incredibly kind things, but there's also people who will ever say, like, I left DC because of Dante Dio. Yeah. You know? Mm -hmm. Like, it's, it is, uh, he is, he is completely a contradiction. Mm. It, It seems very much that if you were on his good side, he would, I mean, really go to the map for you. Yes. And if you pissed him off, you would 100% know. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. So I think I think that there – so it's hard. Like it swims into that. But, um, you know, it, and I think I – to swing it back because I think I did a bad – poor job. I started talking about – some of the creative sides before moving into sort of the administrative side. I should have also mentioned that, that I feel that there was a lot that was exciting under DiDio. I think there was also a lot of stuff that became moribund. I know that you and I joked that it seemed like DC only had three crossover ideas, you know, three event ideas and they'd seem to come from Dan and they seem to, they seem to rotate at least. Exactly. Is it a villain centric event? It's not. Is it a crisis? That's right. Yeah. You know, is it some combination of the two, you know? So yeah, it, uh, it, it was, uh, so pluses and minuses on both sides of the ledger. I think that that is, um, you know, sort of the best way to sum it up. Can you talk going forward? My question to you was going to be, does, is Jim Lee going to be the sole publisher? Cause I think he and my understanding is that he is going to be the sole publisher. Okay. So, cause I saw a lot of people on, I tell a lot of people basically like, who's going to replace Dan. Right. And, and I don't think anyone has to. That's not true. Yes. In terms of literally just titles, no mm-hmm. one has to. DC still has a publisher. Right. Uh, and interestingly enough, it was like a couple of years ago, I think, DC stopped referring to Dan DiDio and Jim Lee as co-publishers oh, and right. started just referring to both as publishers, mm. which is mm-hmm. like really interesting to me. Mm. Um. So in terms of that, they do not need to replace Dan. Right. In terms of practical elements, I really don't know because I don't think it was any secret that Dan basically paid attention to comics publishing mm-hmm. and Jim was paying attention to digital and, and you know, DC Universe. Yes. Things like that. And so, and also Jim is the chief creative officer. Right. And the question is, can you be the full-time publisher, the full-time sole publisher and the chief creative officer? Mm-hmm. It might be that Jim steps down as chief creative officer. Right. To, to take on publisher. It might be that they are going to name a new uh, publisher. I I don't know. Definitely my, my impression from the conversations I had yesterday where there is not going to be another publisher named anytime soon. Right. But I should also say, my impressions from the conversation I had yesterday where this is a situation which is very much in flux. Yeah. Right. Like very much in flux. Right. To the point of, I asked a very particular question about 
what it means for DC's publishing plans. Mm-hmm. And the answer I was given was, we're having a meeting later this afternoon to talk about that. Right. So, so we're kind of in a situation where literally, even if you and I were able to absolutely nail down what everyone was it, thinking and planning it, 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 right it, it, now it, when we record... Everything I was told yesterday, that might not be true by the time people listen to this. Yes. I wish I had only thought to finish that sentence. <sighs> I was going there, Graham. I was, it was right there. It was my, ah! anyway. So yes. Um, do have you heard so, yeah. anything and, or can you say anything about, because I feel one of the things for myself that was always very um, befuddling uh, as someone who didn't really understand how things happened was Bob Harris's role in DC, you know, and in that I, sense I with Dan right Tadeos. What's that? I'll tell you right now. Yes. I didn't hear Bob Harris's name mentioned once yesterday in all the conversations I had. Really? Not once? No. Wow. I from my own uh, and purely speculative I should say like as I said no one mentioned Bob Harris's name once and that's I'm not cheating and saying well they mentioned his title no no one mentioned this at all right but my own speculation is Bob Harris should probably be nervous Mm -hmm. because uh, if DC slash Warner Brothers is looking at how DC exists as a publishing entity mm-hmm. to the point where the publisher of the company leaves, mm-hmm. the editor-in-chief surely should be feeling a little bit nervous. Mm-hmm. Um, especially because, and again, this is purely speculative, I have no insider info on this at all. Mm-hmm. I always got the impression that Dan was Bob's booster and Defender may be unfair, mm. but that I mean, many many people have basically said like, why isn't why does Bob Harris still have a job? Mm-hmm. And ultimately, surely that decision rested with Jim Lee and and Dan DiDio. Mm. Um, maybe Jim Lee is the person who's got an, an incredible affinity with Bob. Why you would think so? I mean, well, it, because Jim left Marvel. Jim Jim left Marvel Marvel because. Marvel would not give him a cut of the profits. That's nothing to say about what Bob did. Bob Harris helped Jim Lee become a superstar. I mean, Jim Lee was already going to be a superstar, but I think my understanding is that when it got down to Chris Claremont on X-Men saying, oh, like, sure, sure. Yeah, either like, he goes or I go. Harris, yes. Yeah. You know, one hundred percent went with with Jim. Yeah. So I mean, you would certainly think that it seems likely that on the just the personal day to day of it, you know, uh, that Bob Harris would certainly be. It seems to me like an incredibly seminal figure in in Jim Lee's career in that way. So I mean, so so maybe sense right? Yep. I honestly always got the impression it was Dan, but again. I could be wrong. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, nonetheless, if I, I can't, I can't think that when a publisher leaves, mm-hmm. that uh, 
that the editor in chief is going, I, I'm fine. Well, like that, that right. just seems insane right. to me. Uh, especially, especially with the the narrative that I feel has sort of congealed, rightly or wrongly, that it has a lot to do with Warner Brothers, which has been much more interested in being hands on at DC, looking at things and making some choices. You know, like like I said, that may or may not end up being the narrative as you and others uncover it, but. You know, like if if it is, then yeah, it makes it makes a lot of sense that on the other hand, there's part of me that, again, Harris, as editor in chief, who seemed in such a quiet behind the scenes role, depending on like it almost seemed like there was the Harris talent stable and then the Didio talent stable. No idea if this is true or not. This is all just my impressions. There is a way in which part of me is like, well, you know, or if the Dio, like you said, if the Dio leaves and they decide Jim Lee can be the publisher, but they still need someone who's got more of the talent wrangling slash promoting Harris, you know, Harris is there and has at least put in the hours and has the connections. Whether or not that is actually anything that is exciting to anyone is, I mean, I would say, you know, on the one hand, part of me is like, I don't really think of a lot of the things that, you know, people have claimed Harris stalwarts like uh, Scott Lovedell are particularly exciting, for example. But, you know, I, you know, it, the Dio again, in his very mercurial way, um, fostered some really interesting talent. And I, it would be a shame if it turns out that as a result, we see less of that and we see more of... Because, how do I put it? This is one of those things that does worry me is AT&T understands product. As I think you had pointed out, one of the things that they've talked about is they don't really have a sense of intellectual property in a way, or they certainly don't have much of an idea of, like, in other words, the important thing is Batman. It shouldn't, it may not matter very much to them who or who isn't crafting the current issue of Batman. Um, and yeah, I, I I think there is definitely a concern mm-hmm. that um, certain people at DC consider comic books to be, for want of a better term, works of art. Right. Right. I, I, by which I mean it's important what stories they're telling. It's important who is telling those stories. That's right. And especially when AT&T took over Warner Brothers. But uh, like even when Warner Brothers took more of a hand in DC back mm-hmm. in 2010, mm-hmm. um, there's this continuing nervousness around the fact that maybe the corporate owners would rather have product, mm-hmm. which is to say the homogenous like releases that could be that are essentially interchangeable. That's right. That it doesn't matter. If Tom King or James Tynion or, or Snyder or Grant Morrison is writing Batman, Batman will read the same. That's right. Superman will read the same. That's right. And, you know, that's been increasingly a concern mm-hmm. over the last 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I, I think I, – I don't think that concern is going to go anywhere 
now that Didio's gone. Because for all his faults, I'm sure Didio had a fuck ton. Mm-hmm. Didio was a comic fan. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. On, I mean, honestly, that was kind of one of his faults. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but no, but Didio realizes how important X creator can be to a character. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. You know? mm-hmm. And even when, you know, his tastes are not mine, mm-hmm. you know, if he believes in a creator, he'll fight for his right to be there. Mm-hmm. And honestly, not having someone like that, it might be a problem. Right. Well, there's, it's, it, and this is a, there's no, there, there's, we, we might get another person. B, it's funny how much Jim Lee is not someone who strikes us as that person. Yes. You know? Yeah. Right. Um, Especially yeah. when you consider Jim Lee's past. Yeah. But, but Jim Lee's past is really fucking complicated. Mm-hmm. Because you can tell one story, which is he's a champion of creator's rights. He left Marvel. He gave up a fortune to go alone an image, which is standing up for the for the comic creator, mm-hmm. right? Or you could tell the story that comes after that, which is he created a studio of homogenous content, right? No, absolutely. Uh, not only uh, that, but you know, reinforce that with exactly the same work for higher contracts. You know, uh, there's there's and for that matter, then sells the company to DC. Yes, absolutely. You know, to to say nothing of the whole um, Alan. Yes, how how his buddy Alan Moore might have felt about that? No, 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 no. Believe me, Lee's like, a Jim, very interesting character in that sense. Yes, like Jim Lee's legacy mm-hmm. is incredibly complicated. Yeah, but Lee is also very good uh, politically in a way that Didio isn't. Oh, um, like. I would say that Lee has got to be up there in terms of among the politically savvier people in comics. And e- but even talking, like even just talking to Jim Lee, mm-hmm. like on a on a personal basis, mm-hmm. right? Jim is slick and on message at all times mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in a way that honestly. Didio just couldn't be unless someone had literally written the message and, and stuck it on his, <laughs> on his thing. <laughs> yeah. You know? So it's it that's and, and so that's why people think this is a concern. Mm-hmm. Right? Because for better or worse, and often it was literally both at the same time. Mm-hmm. You knew what you were getting with Didio. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. I honestly what does anyone know they're, what they're getting if Jim Lee is the only person in charge of, of DC's output? No, it's totally true. It's totally true. You know, I feel Lee has had period like Wildstorm has had periods of utterly generic product. It has had periods of surprisingly um, uh, interesting creative work. Right. And what has been doubly surprising, I think, has always been how absolutely unceremoniously that work has been dumped or cast aside when when needs be. So yeah. that is that's that is that is uh, that is a complex process. It is one of those things of like we really don't know. And for someone who has actually been around 
it, you know, in the spotlight and spotlight adjacent. That's that too is. I mean, it and, says and the, something. I think. And the other thing is, like, when you look back at the you know, quote unquote, the Didio era, especially as publishers, mm-hmm. you can't tell who owns what decision, right? Right. Who made the decision to shutter Vertical? Mm-hmm. Who made the decision to shutter Mad? Right. Who made the decision to uh, announce Black Label mm-hmm. as an imprint mm-hmm. and then months later say it's not an imprint, it's an age rating? Like, who is behind all of those decisions? Right. Are those Tadeo decisions? Are those Jim Lee decisions? Right. Are they both? Are they, are they people both? who had to deliver the message down the hill from, you know whatever board they were answering to exactly all over the place. Yeah. It's, I mean, so, so like it's weird. Jim Lee has literally been for a decade to the publisher of DC. That's right. For the last two years, he's been the chief creative officer. And I don't think anyone could genuinely tell you what Jim Lee's vision for DC is. Right. Well, you know what? I, a, I think you're right. I do. I would say, uh, a, as you point out, he's got the interest in digital, and the video game arena, I think, although I could be wrong, that every time DC starts making noises or moving towards um, doing stuff that's closer to European publishing or includes a European artist, I always feel like Lee's name is really super close to that. So it wouldn't surprise me if that's one of his areas of interest. Um, You know, but... But literally, I'm like, uh, and that's it? I mean, you know, like... No, exactly. Like, what does Jim Lee see for, like, the mainline DC universe? Right. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, what, what is his vision? Yeah. I have no idea. I, and it's funny, because you look at other things, like the Walmart 100-page uh, giants, which are now, like, across the line, 100-page giants. You yeah. know that came from Dan Tadeo. Well, yes. Right. You you mentioned how he talked about in interviews how much... But, but again, I mean, you just have to look at them. Because, mm-hmm. again, it's pretty much a, I fucking love this in the 70s and I'm bringing it back. Yes. Well, didn't you say that was his – he he publicly mentioned that was his Yes, pitch. yes. Yeah. Showed up with his own collection of his 100-page giants, which, again, impossible not to – not for me to find that endearing. So. Right, exactly. There's something weirdly charming about it. But, again, it's something weirdly charming in how – not slick it is right mm-hmm. that his sales pitches i love these comics as a kid look i brought them to show you yeah is is inept in such a way that it's charming well i you mean know? yes exactly i mean it it in a way it's in a, artful perhaps inept is maybe is far too cruel but no it, no no it, no 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 i how do i put it the it could have been the perfect pitch for the job because what Didio's saying with that is, look, this stuff creates such passion that you hold on to these things for decades, decades. and you literally remember where you bought them, you know? And I'm sure, on the one hand, I'm sure that's exactly what Walmart wanted to hear. The only reason why it seems sort of inept and clunky to me is just the fact that that's basically the only mode, as you point out, that Didio really had. That's the he would that like you said, he was the comic nerd, and that's how he made the pitch. He had other stuff, you know, going on or back and forth, but 
I remember sitting in at a WonderCon panel that the Dio did not show up for, where it was one of his assistant dudes who literally kept checking sports scores during the course of the panel. And he even said something to the extent of like, oh yeah, sorry, I'm just really wrapped up in this, you know, I don't know, Lakers game. This is to me what comics are to you. And I'm like, that's a bold decision to announce in front of a room full of people. DC fans. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's like, hey, hey, hey. So listen, don't mind me. I don't give a shit about what you guys are talking about. But just give me a second because this is how I feel about the thing that you have. But, of course, this is how I get paid. Which, you know, there was none of that with DiDio. And that was – it's interesting how much – if nothing else, Hollywood – and the the weird model of screenwriters who have to somewhere pitch themselves or, or really any quote unquote creative because there's so many license properties that are so, is such a huge chunk of the marketplace now um you know you have to walk in with a way that somehow manages to be like i have an incredible passion for this project and i want to do it right and also, I'm completely unsentimental about it and willing to do whatever it takes to make the project work. Like, kind of simultaneously at the same time. And it it may say something that that it, in that way, the Dio um, really wasn't able to finesse it that way. I mean, in a way, it sort of made sense that he and Jim Lee were co-publishers because it seemed like they balanced each other out. right you you would have one edge of that from from the Dio and one half of that for lee um and yeah i get the sense that whatever else is going on um so yeah well it's it's a whole fascinating thing it's amazing to me because it really was um out of everything in fact it sort of bummed me out that <laughs> When we opened this episode, I was going to be like, okay, Graham, time to talk about this big publisher-related news, and then talk about Mark Wade and his publisher at Humanoids, but, you know... Oh, no, no, yeah, we we will get to that as well. Oh, one, really? One last thing about uh, yes. the deal. Uh-huh. Um, I, I have, for my job, I have done lots of interviews with creators. Right. For a publisher, not an editor-in-chief, not an editor, for mm-hmm. a publisher... Mm-hmm. He is by far the most name dropped by creators as being the person who convinces them to do a project. Mm. Hmm. Yeah, like he he very 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 directly right was was involved in in not just selecting projects but making sure creators wanted to do them. Yes. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you, Morrison says, like Didio is the the entire reason he's doing Green Lantern. Mm-hmm. Uh, Caesar Castellucci says the entire reason that Theme uh, uh, of Furies happened mm-hmm. was Didio being like, okay, you should do this. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I think Mister Miracle is a result of Didio going to Tom King. Right. You right. know, Didio. Uh, it's you know, it's also worth pointing out that of the three things I've just mentioned, two of them were Kirby seventies things as well. <laughs> um, 
No, it's true though. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's absolutely like right. The, mm-hmm. Kirby, the Commandy Challenge was his passion project. Yeah. Like I remember years before it happened, he and I were talking about it because mm-hmm. the two of us were like, we both love Commandy, we both love the DC Challenge. Right. Um, but I mean, you don't hear like Dan Buckley is Marvel's publisher, right? Well, you never hear a Marvel uh, creator ever go. Yeah, you know, I was wondering what I was going to do, and then Dan Buckley sat me down and said, have you ever thought of Machine Man? It never happens. Well, the thing – this is actually a whole nother can of worms that I think is very weird and strange is as they started – Why is it the publisher, not the editor-in-chief? <laughs> yes, exactly, because, yeah. you know, because he continued to maintain in – act in in sort of in that role and in that way – in in such a huge process, you know, back back in one of our beloved eras of DC, you know, Dick Giordano did all that work, and he was the IC. And Jeanette Kahn, who you knew as publisher, had opinions and passions, but did wasn't the person who was out there being like, you know, rounding people up and getting them fired up about projects or like reviewing projects and saying, yeah, do this, go this way with that, you know? So in a weird way, the whole, the strange thing about about Marvel and DC is the EIC and publisher situation seemed flipped for so long, you know? Like you never heard shit from Bob Harris, but he was EIC and you heard everything from the publishers, you know, from Jim and Dan. And then over at Marvel, it was just, it was completely the opposite. So, yeah, yeah. you know, it, it was it's, just it's, very strange. It's really, thing. it's really weird. The thing I am uh, very, I mean, could not be more curious about mm-hmm. is the, timing of this not so far as like why now but in the sense of there are really significant changes coming to dc mm-hmm. and they have talked about it mm-hmm. right we know that the scott snyder brian hitch story from wonder woman 750 is the first published evidence of the the timeline renewal that they talked about last october right we know that the free comic book day issue is supposed to be the first of a series of specials mm-hmm. laying out the new history of the DC universe. Right. Are they still going to happen? That seems to be a little but bit like, of a question. I mean, like really seriously. Yeah. Because if, if, if DC, if, if whoever, if AT&T, Warner brothers, DC, whoever is, really readdressing its publishing plan Mm -hmm. to the point where it's firing its publisher. Mm -hmm. You've got to wonder what's going on with the stuff that's been announced. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. But again, they can't really drop it either because they have announced it. Well, what they do, do they say, okay, none of these specials are going to come out. Well, I mean, do they do they like drastically retool it last minute? Do I was about say, to say that's the Dio legacy right there. You know, would be to well yeah, it's, it's, to turn yeah, around no, and you know what I mean? Yeah, like it's yeah. it's absolutely like it's 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 very much an open question to the point where I think it's going to be like the only like thing to think about for DC for the next few months. Mm. You know. Mm-hmm. 
like DC's big story for this year was we're doing this timeline. We're basically doing the final quote unquote like reboot of the DC universe. Well, and and again, I believe if I'm understanding correctly, this was the another sort of passion project for Didio that he had really sort of gotten the ball rolling and had pushed into place and I I'm not sure how true that is. Okay. Um not in the sense of Didio wasn't excited about it because he one hundred percent was. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it started with him, mm-hmm. and I don't think he was the most passionate about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He was, I will, you know, say this like right now, completely honestly, he was the reason it was announced in October's New York Comic Con last year, like a year before it was supposed to happen, right? Because he was that excited about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But. I don't think it was just him, but at the same time, if it was predominantly him, mm-hmm. like, could it end up being collateral damage? I don't know. Right. I, I, I really don't know. And what's what did they replace it with? You right. know, if they get rid of it, what did they replace it with? Mm-hmm. Because death metal is going to fucking do something. Sure. Are they going to change the end of death metal now? Yeah. In which case, what do you do? Again, what do you replace it with? Right. It's just... Like, there's all of this, and, and part of this, I, I should say, is, like, me literally speculating that there there are hard looks happening at DC's publishing line mm-hmm. in the wake of this. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's not. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Right. Maybe there is. Right. But I don't think it's a, it's an unusual or unexpected inference to draw. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree. I think it'll be very, very interesting to see what happens and and how that happens. Uh, and, you know, again, feeling like there have been... D- DC has had a trail <laughs> under Didio of some amazing world-class pivots. So we'll, we'll, we'll you know... We'll see. We'll see how it turns exactly. out. Is this, yeah. is this the last legacy of Dan Didio at DC? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We'll really what? have to see. That's unexpected pivot. Mm-hmm. Yes. The pivot from beyond right. the grave. No, yes. but really. Who mm-hmm. knows? Right. Well, that's it. The way you make it sound, and I believe it, literally at this point, nobody for sure. You know, no one should really put their chips on. It, any bet that you make is going to be a long shot at this point. Because yeah, everything's I, so much in I flux. Think ev- yeah, I do. I think everything is up at the ARDC. Mm-hmm. Um. And that's going to make for a fascinating asterisk, I actually mean terrifying, mm-hmm. year. I, I think there's... <laughs> thing, well, no, here's the thing I'm, I've been, I'm, saying, yes. I've been mm-hmm. saying to a lot of people. Right. Uh, it, honestly, in the last few days, because it's Comics Pro here in, in Portland. Oh, Jeff, right. Yep. There's lots of publishers here. Right. Um, DC can't collapse. DC's a third of the direct market. Yeah. Right. Right. Like if DC completely goes sits up, mm-hmm. that's a real problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I mean, yes. It is. I no, mean, no, 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 no. What do you mean by like going tits up? The vacuum. I mean, what what is your definition of? As in, DC just continues to sell smaller and smaller oh, no, places like, in the I'm marketplace? Thinking, like, scenario. 
Right, what, which is the implosion. Yeah, that where AT and T comes comes in and is like, there's just too much bloat here. There's you know yeah. too what much money coming in with too little what going if we out. Flying by half. Yes, by That's half. Perfect. Like, why not cut it by two thirds? You oh, know? I'm, I literally just pulled some number in my head. Yeah, no, but I mean, you know what I mean. Like, the, the yeah, worst no, case scenario saying, is, like, yeah, right. But that's what I'm saying. Like, let's say that this really is, like, worst case scenario, mm-hmm. right? And the bean counters in AT&T and Warner Brothers go, you know, we're spending an awful lot of money on publishing comics, and it's not really working out. Like, we're doing really well with these reprint books. Why don't we just do more reprint books and less original material? Well, or the the flip side might be, um, you know, and one that's more salient, we're doing much better with these young adult uh, graphic novels. Sure. Right? Yeah. You know, it's like... Why, why don't we Why don't we just leave leave the, the monthly comic book alone? Yeah, exactly. And going, like, that's a disaster. Yeah. Like, that's, that's genuinely a disaster. Yep, yep. No. And not to be all, you know, doomsday about it, but to deal, again, believes in the direct market, fought for the direct market, mm-hmm. believes in the monthly comic book. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And... That guy's gone. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. I mean, and and we'll see. I personally think that... And again, that, that's a worst-case scenario. That yeah, really is. Like, exactly. Again, mm-hmm. that I my ass. I'm just saying there is... You can't rule it out, though. Is, yeah, well, everything is so up in the air mm-hmm. that worst-case scenarios remain worst-case scenarios, but they're not impossible. Yes. And so... People should be nervous. Well, uh, when I started chortling, it was very much from the idea of I remember us having the conversation maybe more or less at this time last year or maybe a little earlier in where it was like we were both pretty worried about the state of comics coming into 2019. You know, like we no, were like, 2018, it was 2018. Oh, was it 2018? You're right. I was convinced yes. 2018 was going to be a disaster because Marvel was, was imploding. That's right. That's right. Um, and I was 100% wrong. Yes. Right. And so like, again, I hope I'm 100% wrong again. Yeah, absolutely. But I, this is, this is such an unexpected move. Mm-hmm. And it is like, there is legitimately, I think, reason to be at least nervous. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Although, hey, flip side, mm-hmm. again, file under, uh, I've not spoken to the people, I cannot corroborate this, I've only heard the second and third hand. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have also heard that, like, Dan Didio is completely happy with what's happened. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not joking. Really? I've heard that I've heard that Dan Didio is like, okay, fair dues. Like, right. you know, it, it, it is what it is, and at least now I don't have to deal with all the stress. Well, uh, one thing that did come up... Yeah. You'll probably get, like an amazing severance. Well, see, oh, absolutely. I mean, the fact that he's being taken out on such short notice, I'm sure means that they will, you know, he probably had a mighty fine severance and or non-compete clause that they will probably sweeten up because it was on such short notice. And and as a lot of people, as a lot of creators on Twitter pointed out, which I think is really um, was important, is that the number of people who said, like, Dan DiDio was really good about coming up to me and saying, don't worry about taking the heat for this. That's my job. That's what I do. That's what I'm here for. And 
And by by every yardstick, he did exactly that. So, yeah, I think the idea of being able to step back, go plant your ass on a beach or something like that, um, you know, I, I'm sure he's... I, I can see him being not necessarily super bummed about it. But at the same right. time, it's also... There's also a lot of, like... You, you know, it... it <laughs> There is a lot of us. I think there was a lot of people who were kind of, you know, people who were wishing to Dio the best, but I didn't see a lot of like, oh shit, what's coming next for Dan to Dio. You know what I mean? Like, it's kind of like, oh, that guy, like, we're not worried about that guy. So, and I don't mean that. And I don't mean in a way of like, people are, you know, although there were the certain, I don't worry about that guy because I hope he catches on fire. But, you know, it's, but more from the sense of, yeah, that guy's going to be, that guy's going to be okay. He was an executive in DC slash Warners for a very long time. Yeah, I mean, to be, to be perfectly honest, I think we've basically seen, I think he's going to retire. No. I like, I, I think in the best way, I think we've seen the last of Dan DiDio. Like maybe he's going to write some more comics, but I saw someone be like, where, what company is going to pop into next? I don't think he will. Like you know, he's going to have a compete for a while. Right. And he's 60 years old. Sure. Like, is he really going to come back to be a, like the publisher and some, you know, artist writers and artisans in like three years when he's 63 years old? No. Well, let's put it this way. A, never say never. B, what if you're the Kirby estate? You got $12 million from Marvel. You have a whole bunch of Kirby's last owned uh, properties that are yours and you know you've already licensed them to dynamite for a few years graham a totally yeah. no, get no, done, no, I, I, done I guess, undone yeah. you know what i, I mean I, like I, yeah I and can't and you're like you've got like a comic book publisher slash editor-in-chief that knows the direct marketplace and knows how to wrangle a headline who's the biggest kirby fan ever i'm just saying just keep in mind when the dio heads up you know, Kirby comics um, and Mark Russell's writing, you know, Captain Victory. Keep it in mind. That's all I'm saying. Keep it in mind. Yeah. No, no. I mean, I, I it's possible. But, Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But who knows? Literally, this is our ongoing theory. And I mean, our ongoing theme for tonight. And I realized the title of the episode. Who knows? That's what I'm uh, I, I should say this. Your show notes are going to be really easy. Uh, our yeah, to talk about Dan DiDio. Right, exactly. I, it was funny because coming into this, thought we'd talk about other stuff. Also had, I only had two books up my sleeve that I was planning on talking about, but each one I, uh, was, I was like, uh, this, well, it, it was either going to take a very long time or a very short time because I was like, one of them, I was like. Oh, this one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, Jeff, we have we have eight minutes before it go, starts going crackly. Do you want to get them out of the way in eight minutes? Uh, no, no, Graham. What are you, a monster? <laughs> oh, my God. No. How, how about how about we jump and I'll call you back? Okay. All right. So, um, where do we want to go? News? More com? My comics? Your comics? Less? I news, mean, more news? honestly, my comics this week has been a very very mixed bag. Uh, and I'm not sure how many times I can go, mm, 1970s Superman comics are great. Oh, but I do want to tell you this like story. It's a 1970s Superman comic story. Sure. Which is um, 
the seven year olds came in to to like say good morning the mm-hmm. other day. And I literally just had a pile of, of like old seventies Supermans. And the great thing about old seventies Superman is they have the story covers. Yes. Right? You know, it's like Superman like fighting a villain is like, Oh my god, will can Superman beat blah blah blah? Right. And the the comic on, on the top of the pile is a comic which is a villain running in and out of portals around Superman who's looking appropriately shocked. And he's saying something like, Can't catch me, man of steel and it's like the there's a caption that says something along the lines of like, He's here, he's there, but he can't be caught. He's the gentleman thief who escapes forever or something like this. And the semi year old is, is like saying good morning to me and, and, and checking in and you see him go what what's what's that? <laughs> I just literally sits down next to me and just starts reading the fucking comic. Wow. Like he, he goes Why why is that man running and then just sits down and starts reading the comic? Yeah. Well I, I think and I was like, oh damn it, like forty years later that shit still works. Oh, absolutely. I, I th- so the week before you know the week before we recorded a drock and so there was lots of stuff that we didn't necessarily get the chance to talk about but one of my five tweets for the week one of which i really was like this is an important topic is how much i wish that now that dc universe and marvel unlimited in theory like the infrastructure is there that they could create all ages mm-hmm. subdivisions of their apps essentially like create an app that's all ages appropriate that just is limited to those titles and those things and with a bit more hands on because one of the things that that I I particularly think DC was had really had mastered that art of what is going to get a a seven-year-old to pick up a comic, you know? And they did it for a a really long time, arguably too long in a way, you know, because they literally couldn't believe that Marvel was going to be anything other than a flash in the pan. But they have that stuff, and that stuff really does work in a weird, all-ages appropriate way. This is a story that I'm sure you're tired of hearing but to to bounce off of it when trying to find comics for my nieces to read it was amazing how much i found myself returning to dc's output in the 60s and Mm -hmm. early 70s because Mm -hmm. it had even in ways that were terrifyingly sexist the fact of the matter is they had Wonder Girl or even Wonder Tot stories that kids were going to be like, tell me more about Wonder Tot. You know what I mean? Because these were my nieces were still crazily obsessed with babies for various reasons. So the idea of super powered babies was just like. It, it was a fucking cronut for them. You know what I mean? And so I really do see, I can totally see how the seven-year-old would be like, what is this? I want to read it. Because the the covers had ways of understanding, I think, what what how kids more or less un- thought they understood for reality and warped it in a way that seems 
really fascinating for a seven-year-old and in a, and you know like completely uninvolving unless you're you know very very nostalgic for say, say a 23 or 30 year old you know yeah it, it was just like just seeing him legitimately get distracted by the comic cover yeah right like he was trying to have a conversation he just kept looking back over being like, like no, but really, what is like what is going what on? What is there? happening what, there? What yeah. is happening? Yeah. And then he's just like, "I've got to sit down and read." Yeah, and I was, I really was like, "That's that's amazing. That's yeah. genuinely great." Right, right. Um. Anyway, but yeah, I've been reading uh, lots of seventies of man. I've been reading a lot of Justice League, like I told you. Um. Well, something I did read is I read Noel Stevenson's memoir. Oh, really? Uh, which is out really soon, like in two weeks, I think. Mm-hmm. Um. And I, I'm torn, Jeff. Really? How so? I, I like it a lot. I should mm-hmm. say that. Okay. Um, however, it is essentially just a collection of her Tumblr posts. Mm. Hmm. Uh, and don't get me wrong, there is a lot of value in a cur- curated collection of her Tumblr posts of autobio stuff. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Especially because, as like as it gets towards the end, there's more in there than just Tumblr. Because obviously, like she became right, no, she became a, a celebrity for one of a better way of putting it, mm-hmm. and she didn't put so much of herself out publicly. Mm-hmm. So there mm-hmm. is more towards the end. Mm-hmm. Um, but but it's the first half at least mm-hmm. is is essentially her Tumblr. Mm-hmm. Um, there is, like I said, great value in it. Mm-hmm. Um, Honestly, there's great value in seeing it curated in the form it is because you realize, like, how fucking young she was mm-hmm. when all this happened to her. Like, shockingly so. Um, you know, the fact that she was nominated for awards, like, 21, mm-hmm. it's just fucking nuts. Yeah, that's you pretty know? amazing. Um, and also seeing how one of the things that Noelle Stevenson has ever done is that she had a, 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 a lengthy post on Tumblr basically about how success has not solved her problems. Mm-hmm. How she was essentially still this this like broken, flawed person. Mm-hmm. She didn't think that there was a solution, basically. Mm-hmm. No, and it was this incredibly raw piece of writing. And that's in there. And honestly, it's pretty much the emotional heart of the book. Mm-hmm. But the way the book is constructed, you basically realize that it's always like that has always been present, present for her, mm. you know, and that she was, she was talking about it like six years earlier, mm-hmm. but she didn't realize it. Mm. And you realize it when you read the book. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's this thing where I simultaneously was like, I've, I really have read all this before. Right. So it's her Tumblr, mm-hmm. but also you get this new nuance from it in the way that's curated. Now, just uh, my only worry, I guess, would be because the starts because the the it's built off of like you said curated Tumblr posts. Is it is it a choppy read? Is it a little too sequentially start and stopish? I guess more vignette uh, it, or it's very vignette. It's mm-hmm. very vignette. Um, it's very. It's funny, it doesn't necessarily read choppy, but part of that is the way it's structured. Mm-hmm. Um, in that it does feel choppy, but the choppiness feels natural. Hmm. 
I, I can't think of a, a better way to say that. It, it's basically, um, it's as if, and obviously, like, this is a real person and these are real things that happened, right? Mm-hmm. But it is as if you drop in on someone's diary annually. Right. Hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. So it's it's this thing that initially feels choppy, but once you've done, like, three years, mm-hmm. it becomes the natural rhythm of the book. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So, uh, the answer is yes and no. Okay. You know, it, it is choppy, but it also feels earned choppy, for want of a better way of putting it. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I, I was... Uh, it's, it, it's another book that... And maybe this is just me. I have no idea how you feel about Stevenson. It's another book that makes me feel that she is... I, I mean, astonishingly talented. Mm-hmm. But almost... Beyond that, one of the things I like about her is that she is almost accidentally fearless in her work. Mm. You know, like there's all these things that she thinks are flaws. Mm-hmm. And they are they are like incredible strengths when I read them. Right. You know? Right. Uh, um, what's the title of the, the memoir? Oh, you see, now you're saying that. I'm going to have to look up. Well, it saves It's it something about fire. Mm-hmm. The fire never goes out is what it's called. Ah, okay. Huh. Okay. Well, that's good to know. And, and roughly when did, is it supposed to be out? It's you know? out on March 3rd because I just looked it up. Oh, okay. So that's A, Super Tuesday, and B, very, very soon. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Well, good to know. I will take that as a jumping off point to talk about uh, Downfall by Aneo Asano uh, that I read this week. It came out officially uh, in English via Viz uh, this Tuesday slash Wednesday. I had saw that it was coming out and seemed like it would really turn my crank. Um, Asano is, I've got sort of a weird push and pull thing with him. Uh, Nishigahara Holograph, which Fanographics reprinted, is like one of my favorite things ever and is a single one volume uh, story of incredibly depressing power. Uh, I went on to read Solonin, which was a story about um, young, uh, I don't remember if they were post-college or post-high school uh, youth trying to find their way in the world in Japan. I did not particularly care about it for it. And it was interesting seeing how, because I knew people who just loved the shit out of that book. And to the point where I think for the most part, my, my mouthing off about books that I talk about here, people are either like, oh, I, I buy into the Jeff hype. And it either works for me or maybe sometimes it doesn't. Um, And if I say something's really not my thing, I'm pretty good, I hope, about saying, like, that's just me. It may work for you. And if so, so much the better. But people who are like, no, Jeff, this is an important book. So um, I never dove into Goodnight Pun Pun, which was, was, uh, I don't know, seven or eight volumes. Also very beloved of course, Asano's doing um, what is it? DD's incredible DDDD destruction, or yeah, whatever. yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, which I picked up the first, uh, I think like five or six volumes. Only read the first two. 
Loved the first one. The second one seemed fine. And then I just wandered off. Interestingly enough, uh, Downfall sounded really like my cup of tea. And that was even before I read um, Viz's like email, which was hilarious in its like a masterpiece of depression and isolation, you know, and it was like, oh, yeah, sign me up for that, baby. Like people are like, yeah, this is your selling point. So what's amazing about Downfall is it is a uh, it is a single volume story of a semi-successful manga artist who has finished up a critically acclaimed um, seven or eight volumes to diminishing sales um, and is his life is on the rocks it is it is it is also part and parcel of the um midlife crisis manga that you that i i'm so loath to talk about it in a way because a i loved it and b i so want you to read it graham even though i'm 90 percent sure that you would throw something at me after it if not by the time you got to the end, just several points along the way, because it is, it's wackily cliche. It's like, wait, it, you you want me to read it because it's cliche, or you think I would throw something at you because it's cliche? I think you would throw something at me, uh, among other reasons, but the main ones are because it seems so cliche in and in, in a way that it. I think you're like Jeff. I don't want to read a depressing story about. A uh, self-involved uh, comic book creator who's having a midlife crisis and is leaving his wife and becomes obsessed with a younger, you know, short-haired pixie girl. You know, like it. It's it's from the outside of it. From the outside, it is such this amazing cliche. But what's great is a Asano, very 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 heavily flirts with how much you're supposed to take it as auto bio or not. And that's part of the very sort of darkly hilarious um, uh, humor in it. And, uh, And also I think one of the things that's fabulous about it is where where it ends up is in a much more simultaneously realistic and despairing place than you would think that it would go. And I, I'll tell you right now. I've already added it to my library list. Oh, fabulous. I'm really looking forward to you uh, reading it. I think it looks gorgeous. It's absolutely lovable, lovely. One of the things that I thought was, uh, again, one of those weird jokes, jokes that may or may just be me misunderstanding things and assuming it's a joke, is the main character, after he finishes his um, series... Of course, the publisher throws him a party and his assistants go. And then afterwards, his assistants are like, okay, so what do you want us to do? Like, you know, because he's paying them. They're on the clock. And he's like, yeah. um, just uh, just, just draw some backgrounds. Just just, just why don't you draw some backgrounds so that I, I can fit them into whatever piece that's later. And he says that two or three times. And part of what's so funny about it is, to me, is the backgrounds in this book are 
gorgeous. Um, <laughs> You're like, maybe it is autobiographical. Well, see, exactly. It's one of those things that if you think that it is, at a certain point, you're like, wait, this is a ridiculously yeah, exactly. developed... Yeah, like proof. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Joe McCulloch, uh, a.k.a. Jog, wrote a piece about it over at the Comics Journal uh, website, which I will definitely link to. Um, Joe points out that uh, that it's actually the backgrounds are are like um basically uh photos that have been digitally drawn on or painted over so it's heavily photorealistic very very different from the invitation from a crab style that i was talking about just a few weeks ago but like so perfect like as somebody for me who like still kind of has that little pang of oh i miss japan reading this was just like oh God, I miss the Japan. But on top of that, Asano does, I think, some absolutely, his line is just very supple. His cartooning is really strong. I just love the the look of it. I think, And I think that you'll enjoy. But like I said, by the time it gets to the end, oof, it ends up in... It, it's a one-off, right? It, it is. It is a one-off. I signed, It was great. Like good old Comixology, they managed to do a great job making, you know letting you subscribe to series that are one shots and not letting you subscribe to, to, to ongoing series if they don't necessarily know when the next volume is going to be out. So, uh, yeah, so you just need the one by the time you get to it, you feel like you've had definitely the complete story experience. Um, one thing that I thought was really great and funny is, uh, his, uh, the main character's wife is a manga editor and their marriage is sort of in the process of falling apart, not least of which is because she is very busy um, working with other creators, some of whom are much more popular than um, than the narrator, the protagonist is. And when uh, that female, when the editor's uh, charge shows up, She's been mentioned at several points, and Asano's great at doing different covers for different volumes of manga. The scene where the protagonist goes and finds his book on, you know, a display stand surrounded by a bunch of other titles. It's kind of, he like really has it nailed. Um, but it was really interesting because it he keeps coming back to this female uh mangaka who's more successful than him um and there is apparently uh as joe pointed out in his article there's been a lot of speculation because it appears to be based on perhaps uh, a, another actual manga creator who <clears throat> is uh, who may well be i can't say is but may well be um the creator of Tokyo Tarabara Girls and My Blank Canvas and Princess Jellyfish. Uh, of course, I should break out the name, but because I don't have it, I don't have my computer near me. I'm like, it's uh, Kiko. No, that's not right. Give me one second. <laughs> Man, doing so well. I'm like, mm, why don't I edit these parts out? Why? What's wrong with me? Uh, blah, 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 blah. Akiko Higashimura. I was I, so close. You you were. I got a Kiko right, and I thought it. I was like, Hug-na-na-mana. shit. Anyway, 
So it's very, if nothing else, Graham, I thought you might enjoy some really um, uh, uh, baffling... Metatextual emotional melodrama? Exactly. Is it an in-joke? Is it a slam? What exactly is going on there? I've got to admit, like, it weirdly sounds like something I'd enjoy. (laughs) I'm hoping that you will. Uh, The other thing that I, I think, the part where I was like, I'd be kind of curious because it kind of does have the... um, how do I put it? Well, anyway, so good. Why don't you read it, hopefully, and then we can discuss it, hopefully, and hopefully you'll like it. And if not, it will hopefully be super entertaining when you don't and talk about it with me. And I will uh, tell you how you're wrong. It doesn't compare to Grant Morrison's Jelly. And then uh, right. people yes. will be like, I love it when Jeff gets really upset. Yes, when Jeff gets defensive, Jeff is the best Jeff. Well, I'm so glad you said that, Graham, because... The other one's a Jason Aaron Avengers book, isn't it? The uh, No, but just as close, (laughs) just as near and dear to your heart, Graham. Yes, I'm talking about League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, The Tempest, which I finally... I had read the first three issues way back when and Oh, this is the the final volume, right? Yeah, final volume, out, picked it up via Hoopla, even though I had the individual issues and like... Damn it, I'm going to read this. Uh, interestingly enough, the incredibly present Jonathan Sapseed uh, asked me on Twitter what I had thought of the last two issues or three issues. And I'm like, I hadn't read them, but I've got the trade and I'm looking forward to talking about it. Graham, there is, as the kids would say, a lot to unpack in League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, The Tempest. Um, I mostly uh, liked it. The thing that blew, there's two pieces that actually blow my mind. And the piece I want to share with you, which honestly, I cannot believe A, that I am saw what I saw, and B, that nobody was really talking about it, except I think it's issue four of a six-issue series. And at that point, people were either on the bus or off the bus. But what drives me insane is... I think Alan Moore could have been in the fourth issue of League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, The Tempest, kind of fucking with Grant Morrison in a really strange no. way. It's no. either Alan Moore fucking with Grant Morrison, that never happens. I don't know. I don't think he really does fuck with him. I think Grant Morrison fucks with Alan Moore all oh, the no, time. Oh, I, no, I, I think it's 100% mutual, Jeff. Okay, why, why do you say that? Okay. So, uh, so The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, The Tempest's very last volume, um, opens... Opens. Uh, the story that develops is that... Um, eh, that Orlando and Mina Murphy have uh, rescued and rejuvenated via Orlando's pool of youth rejuvenator, um, Emma Knight, which is to say Knight slash Emma Steed from the Avengers, who was the head of MI5 for many years, but uh, they basically managed to take her, free her, um, rejuvenator, and they are on the run. Meanwhile, the decrepit new M head of MI5, who is old, broken down, and extra Lucy, finds out about all of this and manages to make his way and rejuvenate himself in the pools 
that M is in fact Mr. Jimmy slash James Bond, who we have seen being a notorious scalawag and all around shit in things like, say, Legally Extraordinary Gentleman, The Black Dossier. One of the things that's quite enjoyable, I think, as I mentioned in the first, the first three issues of The Tempest are sort of lighter, frothier um, affairs. And I also like the fact that one of the things that sort of struck us as um, sour to the point of petulant uh, in League of Extraordinary Gentlemen Century is that the showdown, the the symbol of ur-toxic masculinity slash the Antichrist returned to destroy everything is more or less Harry Potter. And yes. it seemed very, uh, like I said, sour, not really on base. It is a much stronger case to be made that if you are... Um, constructing a narrative about English pulp literature that is striking back at the core of English entitled British entitlement in uh, well, English, I should say English entitlement and toxic masculinity. I think you're doing much better if you're taking the piss out of James Bond than if you are out of Harry Potter. It makes much more sense. And Bond in here ends up making a pretty good nemesis because once he gets his age and youth and beauty back, he instantly sets about uh, dropping an atom bomb on the pool so that no one else has access to it. He ends up killing anyone else who knows about it. He ends up um, vigorously bedding down the other women of MI5 and treating them as they say, like livestock and, you know, taking his unique brand of confident and cavalier um, misogyny out on uh, Orlando, Murray, and Knight. So he ends up being, quote-unquote, the big bad. The Where things kick into craziness is in the... is Murray and company make their way back to the blazing world, which I don't know if you remember, Graham, but is essentially the world of fictional constructs outside time and space that Prospero, the wizard from Shakespeare's The Tempest, has more or less been the human emissary for this world of essentially unbridled, um, timeless imagination. Um, you know, and up until it throughout the course of the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, um, that has more or less been held up as uh, a paragon and essentially kind of an extension of, you know, Alan Moore's the core of his magical belief system uh, that more or less ideas exist, that we exist as ideas. Oh, oh no. We, we exist outside oh, no. time. In other words, kind of the, the world of, you know, if heaven was a really big spliff, essentially, that's the I just, world. can I break it now to ask one question? Sure. This place has not been taken over slash corrupted by a Scottish bald magician, has it? Graham, you are going to love where this is going because... I am so nervous right now. So the 
fourth issue uh, has them after the first three issues that the Murray and group uh, reunite with um, Jack Nemo, who is essentially the uh, latest scion of the Nemo pirate empire. And in his Nautilus, they maneuver through several realms in their best way to try and get to the blazing world since their traditional path has been closed by atomic radiation. They finally get there. They're received. They go and they are essentially invited, uh, Mina Murray and Jack Nemo to go see a new play by Shakespeare. They go to it. They are sitting there as is typical in, you know, Alan Moore. There is not only the actors acting and saying things in iambic pentameter, but the, you know, uh, Mina and Jack won't shut up and continue to talk about the various things. So two, two things that I want to put in place. One, um, do you remember uh casino royale the first one not the not the movie? remake yeah the first yeah. movie which was essentially the idea that james bond is a number of agents that it's more or less a series yeah. or title so one of the things that that Moore does that plays on that is a he he has that so that m is guided by the quote-unquote j series of j's like i think one through seven, the seventh of which is Woody Allen, who ends up helping, you know, M into the pool and ends up being the first one shot and killed after James Bond comes back to life. But so you have James Bond and his J series one through six, which are his um, the various Bond incarnations in film. You know, you've got the dude who looks like Daniel Craig. You've got the guy who looks like Sean Connery. And Kevin O'Neill um, occasionally feels like drawing Timothy Dalton. He will, right? So, so in the, so I just want to mention that because the numerology of this is super important. Okay. The Shakespeare play that Mina Murray and, uh, and Jack Nemo are watching has to do with the Queen of Fairy, Gloriana, talking about her special plan that she will have to allow the fairy who were unjustly forced off the earth back into the planet. But it is a noble plan that is spinning centuries. And she gets it with the help of Prospero. Prospero has as his symbol the number seven surrounded by an ot at each side, right? So on the... Wait, the number seven surrounded by an ot, do you mean a zero? Yes, two knots. Okay. So in other okay. words, the sign of Prospero's quote-unquote sigil is 007, right? Yes. And Mina Murray is like, hold on, that can't be a coincidence, can it? So the twist in issue four is that essentially all of everything that has led up to this very storyline, which involves James Bond bombing, uh, atomic bombing, you know, where Orlando's hidden pool is and more or less stirring up the ire 
he, uh, unknown to him, has sparked the inv- the 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 tinder that will spark the invasion of the world of fairy combined with all the sort of outer worlds including you know the old ones and people like toyland and whatever yeah, yeah. to essentially involve reality you're like yes jeff i get to where you're going no 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 i i, I just i know what you're saying yes basically it's the plot of seven soldiers of victory by grant morrison that's, that's what i was thinking earlier. so Somewhere out of literally as if out of nowhere, Alan Moore is like, okay, so my grand plan of this book is that the Queen of Fairy is invading reality and everyone is being manipulated and the seven quote unquote soldiers who stand against them who don't know that they have a chance are, you know, first the doomed series of James Bond and his six replacements, but also the series of the the league that has been set up to perpetuate this and been double crossed and is now essentially fighting them. So it goes in a very different direction by which I mean that the world ends and people end up in space and it all ties into a um again a what's it the seven stars which is presented as if it's an uh a black and white British reprint of an old, like the analog of a Gardner Fox Justice League of America issue. So all of which is to say, Alan Moore takes everything from Seven Soldiers of Victory, puts up an incredible analog into it in his book of various fictional analogs and paints himself, who he is heavily identified with Prospero all throughout Prospero is the magician who sides with the fairies to bring about the end of the world. In other words, more or less embracing the bitchy subtextual role that Morrison casts for more in Seven Soldiers of Victory as whoever the fifth man or the seventh tailor, whoever the yeah, hell yeah, that yeah, guy yeah. was, yeah. right? So, so basically utterly fascinating on on a number of levels right right it is simultaneously a weird tribute slash unbelievable diss track buried at the end okay i I guess you you must know why it's a diss track in a way that like isn't coming across when you're you're explaining this okay why what why is it a diss track oh to me, it's a diss track because Morrison is talking about more, particularly in the form of Seven Soldiers, as if the form of magic that Moore has done to the DC universe has been uh, an essentially malignant thing. And this malignant thing that he's done ties into this fairy invasion you know in seven soldiers more takes all of that on and more or less makes it like owns it takes all this stuff and synthesizes it and then essentially by by making it the core i think of league of extraordinary gentlemen tempest in sort of a a a a, a colossal statement of i know you are but what am i or rather i know i am but what are you 
is probably closest to it because Prospero is more or less identified as a magician who brings about the end of the world by filling the real world with all of its fictional counterparts in a series in which Alan Moore is doing exactly that same thing within League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Now, and so he's basically like, yes, I'm doing so, but A, you know, I'm quote unquote ending the world, which as we see throughout the, the next following issues, isn't exactly what is and isn't happens more in true I smoke a lot of pot and I really enjoy my deck of tarot cards sort of way is very much a fan of the way in which things end as really a way in which things begin. Yeah. And yeah, the end is the beginning. Yeah, exactly. And also I think there's a, there's a very wonderful uh, set of panels when um, in order to essentially launch Nemo's new Nautilus, which is a beautiful squid-shaped spaceship into space with all the surviving um, super-powered creations to escape the planet. Um, there's a series in which he has to more or less burn his fantastic island, and you see it in flames. And the 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 voiceover panels are talking about the the sad necessity, but need for this vast pirate empire to end is is a is a really how do i put it one of the things that's lovely about league of extraordinary gentlemen the tempest is it is not nearly as sour as you might think it may seem a little too self-satisfied as it all, all but surely is but let's put it this way out of the five or six different endings that the Tempest has, I think you would be very amused to know one of them is as two characters are finally getting married. There's a knock on the, the spaceship door essentially. And there's two guys in tuxedos asking to get into the, the wedding. And it's, it's Alan Moore and Kevin O'Neill in a gag that is, you know, literally riffing it's on the, Fantastic the, Four annual number two. Kirby. Exactly, exactly. They're drawn the same way, but then, of course, they're just thrown out of the airlock to die. So Because that's like a 100% Alan Moore joke. Like, yeah, that is absolutely. the definitive Alan Moore joke. Absolutely. The fact that he's going to close all of this off with, well, not entirely close, but as he crimps the, the end of his little... A metafictional spliff for another night smoking. One of the one of the ends that he squeezes off is Fantastic Four Annual Number Two. It's it's a really fun little read. By which I mean, a I think you would find it interminable. But b the Seven Soldiers of Victory stuff. I can't believe no one else is talking about. And I wasn't even high when I read it. So part of me is like, I do think it's there. I mean, it's really crazily there, Graham. And I, I I can't get over that. And also, I I still am not sure it's a diss track. But also, I the thing I can't get over is I just love the idea of Alan Moore reading all the Grand Morrison comics. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know why that in particular amuses me quite so much. Mm -hmm. But I can genuinely see him like reading them and being like, "I'm going to make a joke about it," which I find 
really, really funny. Well, exactly. In a way, I, I guess I say diss track, and part of what I mean by diss track is in the way that there's a difference between rappers who are dissing and when you've got genuine beef. Like, there's a really good case to be made that Alan Moore is, in his very generous way, offering a bit of comic book kayfabe to rip off a podcast title. Um it's it's there's also a way in which i think that it it may be something different altogether i just was kind of I, i'm i'm, I'm still I'm, flabbergasted honestly, by like, it just that alone makes me go i kind of want to read it i and i think in a way you should because uh among other things uh, every issue of the tempest is structured is a different format of British comics. British so, comic, right? Yeah. yeah so, the 2008 cover. Exactly. So the 2018 cover, which is really, in its way, it's very funny. Each of the chapters are broken up into chapters, and um, it's got the 2000, 2000, because it's taking place in 2010. It's the 2010 AD credit chip, I think. And it's, you know, utterly replaceable script droid, utterly replaceable art droid lettering and coloring droid and then because alan moore's alan moore he literally comes up with anagrams for all of the creative team different anagrams for every each one of the four or five chapters because of course it does you know but he's that's, that's the that's the exhausting level of detail that you expect from alan moore completely but for example the issue two issues before um, because issue five is done like a British reprint of an American pre-horror comic code, pre-code comic issue three, issue three is, is basically like, um, you know, uh, mist, like it, it riffs on Misty. It presents itself mm-hmm. like it's a ho- girl's horror comic. And issue four, of course, is the comic that. Uh, is Phil is done like it's an issue of I think Wizard or Chips or Beano, uh, and and is just filled with British references that I don't get that I would like to think that you would either enjoy or it would annoy you. But I'd be very curious to see what you think. I mean, it's not there's things about the book that I miss, like characterization um, that would have been nice to get in there, but. You know, everything that I found kind of, um, uh, I don't know, um, unappealingly show-offy in in the previous League of Extraordinary Gentlemen uh, volumes tends to hit a very different tone here. And I'd be very curious to see what you'd think of it. What's funny is just recently I was, I think it was on Hoopla even, Mm -hmm. uh, I, I was found myself wanting to revisit The Tempest. Mm. Not Tempest, um, Century. Century, The one that right. came before that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and honestly stopped myself because I was like, no, I don't hate myself. <laughs> no, because I remember hating that book. Right. I remember getting very angry at it. I remember thinking that it was like just this bitter, 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 like black hole of a comic. Mm. Um, and I was like, yeah, I, I don't. I I don't have to put myself through that, right? Um, but honestly, you talking about this makes me like shit. I want to read it. Mm-hmm. I think I think you should take a stab at it because I would like to think that you would feel 
very differently about it. Now, that being said, I think that, you know, you and I have very different opinions of more in a way that just because you don't actively hate it, A, doesn't necessarily mean that you'll like it, or B, there's a lot of, you know, Alan Moore trying to be comics's cool dad is not exactly anything that I can see you appreciating or enjoying either. And I think there's a very good case to be made that he, that that is, that's what this is. Is, I don't think that's what it is, but it would not surprise me if either a it's how it strikes you or B that that particular, um, uh, way of seeing more cannot um will will cast a shadow over the work itself we'll see either both of them i really would love you to check out and see um and sort of i mean i'm fairly sure that tempest is on hoopla it is that's how i read I, it I, yeah exactly. i could even read it tonight that's and then yeah, yeah what a horrifying genuinely horrifying i was thought. about to say like don't don't do that it is it took me, I I felt like I ran a marathon just trying to read it in the course of this week, in part because I was so struck by Downfall that not only did I read Downfall uh, in like a night or two nights, but I immediately went back and reread it the next day, which is a relative rarity for me. I'll revisit things, but seldom like the day after. Um, the day immediately after. Yeah, so... The four or five nights in which I polished off the Tempest and I could go quickly in the beginning comparatively because I'd read the first three issues, still, I still found myself gasping and gulping like I had, you know, I want to say ran a marathon, but the fact of the matter is it's, it's a lot like one of those hot dog eating contests where you just have to wolf down the food in like a super short period of time and your eyes are just running and it's a horrible spectacle horrible spectacle why people go to hot dog eating contests i like hot dogs i like contests i like eating put them all together exactly. i like hot dogs hell. i like people well, i don't want to see them both together competitively no exactly it's just not a thing it's just the very worst thing anyway graham so i don't know where we want to go from there i'm sure you're like well of course mark wade and the humanoids but i don't know i don't know maybe i mean okay let's let's do that and then let's wrap it up <laughs> mark wade and humanoids well not because like where else do we want to go and we're also approaching two hours oh uh, are we because because yeah. jeff once again did his mouthy thing you know yep. we're for yeah, i did my mouthy thing weird. for the last hour so it's it's it even good um mark wade and humanoids it's very funny why not? It's very funny because Jeff and I actually talked about this after draw class time. Mm-hmm. So, so we we have we have discussed this. You just you never heard it, right? Um, it's it's an odd thing. It's yeah. an odd thing more than anything because, as I was saying to you last week, Daddy of Mark Wade doing a new incal seems wrong on like a religious level. Yeah, it's really it's odd. I mean. I mean, there is the thing of not only do I think you would be hard-pressed to look at Mark Wade's work and be like, ah, clearly I can see the influence of European giants published by the humanoids. Look, I, I don't know anyone who hasn't read Kingdom Come and thought, hmm, Joe Drowski. Right. You know, who, who wasn't looking at uh, all the issues of 
uh, insufferable or indomitable or unbelievable. Irredeemable. 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 And been like, well, yeah, clearly this is, this is someone who knows the work, is intimately familiar with the work of Anki Bilal and is trying his best to, to, to merge that uh, strong, deep European sci-fi influence you know, but it, yeah, no, instead it's kind of like, I, I'm Mark Wade. I'm now publishing humanoids. I'm now doing an Incal story. You're just like, I, like the, the, there's, there's a way in which the math works out, but it literally to me, isn't anything more than Mark Wade lives in Los Angeles. The American, you know, the, the American chapter of the humanoids slash publishers are in LA They've been trying to figure out a way to get a, a hold in the American direct marketplace for a while now. And thanks to the miracle of Hollywood, there's lots and lots of money to tempt investors into doing dumb things. So, first of all, I could be wrong. I think the quote American chapter of humanoids is humanoids, which is to say, I think that's where all of humanoids is headquartered now. Uh, I really? think the lead office is actually in LA now. That's probably true because I feel like I feel like the Euro humanoids did some really interesting quasi self implodey explodey things. Um, are the, the Lefissiers involved? That's always been I my mean, kind of I'm thing. I'm sure they are somewhere because it's humanoid, right? right? Like I feel like they're always to be found somewhere around there. Yeah, I think so too. And it also sort of makes sense. Anyway, I don't know, man. I got to say that shit is crazy. And I was looking forward to riffing about Mark Wade talking about his favorite first issue of, of Heavy Metal. Um you know, for a long time. He's like Mark Wade. I like boobs. Now I'm publishing the humanoids. I mean, at least it's not Jeff Johns, who A, is also in Los Angeles. B, at least also had work published by humanoids before. I was going to say, like, the, the, I want to say the solicitation for the best of, of Metal Ireland mm-hmm. actually name checks Jeff Johns. Yeah, yeah, because I think he and John Cassidy, I want to say John Cassidy, did, 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 did some work that, I don't know, you know, um, opinions vary, but I would say sucked. Oh, that sucked. Oh, that was, that sucked. Oh, yeah, Jeff Johns, it would be really interesting. That guy is not launching his Twilight Zone reboot anytime soon. Let's put it that way. Jeff Johns, remember Killing Zone? I wonder if we'll ever see that at DC now. Ooh. Wait, which one's Killing Zone? Was that the one? Killing about... Zone was going to be his own pop-up imprint. Oh, right. Oh, I forgot it was called that. And, oh, Jesus. Yeah. No, I just, I always, every once in a while, remember that, like, his, like, sort of Ghostbusters but serious story about, like, a bunch of, you know, weaponized priests who, like, fought, like, monsters or ghosts or ghostly monsters or whatever. Like, I don't remember. You know what I'm talking about? Like I was, really don't, but I do for love image. Idea. Yeah, it was kind I, I of... I really don't, but I, I feel like that is... Honestly, what would happen if Mark Miller tried to make up a Jeff Johns story? You know, it's so funny, because I kind of had a... What if Robert Kirkman made up a Robert Kirkman story? But, you know... <laughs> but, it's, but it's true. It's totally... It was a thing. It was a thing that happened back in the days where... Jeff Johns free agent was also having like 
really unbelievably creepy uh, sex scenes and issues of the Avengers that people still make fun of decades later. I, I, shoot, let's be perfectly honest. I, I like how we've already pivoted off of Mark Waid at Humanize, which clearly a, a subject that we're... Well, still, part of me is like, why, Graham? Why? It doesn't make any sense. And what can he do? I just It doesn't seem like Wade's wheelhouse. I mean, I will say yeah, that like, Wade is... What good has Wade's been seem like wheel, Wade's wheelhouse? Wade's wheelhouse, for me, honestly, will forever be superheroes. And he's been editor-in-chief of Boom. Right. Lead writer of Archie. Right. And now this. You totally, let's not forget Thrillbent and come on, dude. Editor in chief of Amazing Heroes. You just, you gotta, gotta. Yeah, but again, superheroes, Amazing Heroes, right? But like, if you look at what he's. I, again, I like Mark Wade's writing. I do. Yeah. yeah. I do too. And this is in a seems, certain framework, this and this seems seem so far over, out the framework. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. This is going to seem overly harsh. Yeah. But Mark Wade's executive moves mm-hmm. have always felt like it's writing checks that there's nothing in his back catalog can cash. Mm. 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 It all, it's always like he's like, yeah, I'm really stretching myself. And then you see me writes and you're like, uh, are you though? <laughs> do you know what i mean yeah yeah no no i uh, dude i don't even get me started don't even get me started of course the whole problem is is i'm like yeah who was the guy who gave me like my one you know uh parentheses two comic book writing jobs who's mark wade and who's in Incredibly complicated. Humanoids now. Play your cards. No, right. that's what I'm saying. Nothing says playing them wrong, like you know, dissing Mark Wade just as he takes over at Humanoids. I'm like, fuck, dude. I, if I play my cards right, I could be writing in call. You know what I mean? I could be like, hey, good news. Because let's face it, I just said this. I'm, I was about to say it. I'm like, hey, good news, Graham. I'm writing the five issue mystery of chess boxing miniseries. I'm like, oh fuck, would I love to write that? That would be <laughs> fucking awesome. Totally screwed myself now. Ah, anyway, yeah. No, we'll see. It just seems weird. It just seems it. Mark Wade being publisher of Humanoids seems like someone got the comic book uh, publishing Mad Libs uh, page and did it kind of weirdly. You know what I mean? Exactly. Someone did it wrong. Yeah. It's the weirdest. It really is the weirdest. But, I mean, remember, Grant Morrison was, was like, quote-unquote, editor-in-chief of Heavy Metal for yeah, a while? Yeah, he was. Yeah. I mean... Maybe it's like that. Yeah, I guess. I mean, you know, having picked up a couple of those issues, I was like, I mean, it wasn't a great fit, but, I mean, or rather, I was bored, but it it sort of made sense. How do I put it? I Like, I feel like it made sense. Like, there's a way in which I'm like... I can see how you get from there to there. I wasn't necessarily crazy about the output, but like, I can't help but feel like, you know, Morrison, who with Miller took over 2000 AD for the bad boys of summer back in 90 something or other makes more sense being an editor in chief for a year of heavy metal. than like you said, the guy who like did thrill bent and dynamite and was like, clown tales the anthology it's going to be the next big thing getting in touch uh and taking over like taking over humanoids it just doesn't it just don't add up as the kids say you know 
Like it's very, it's very odd. But we say that all, we say that all now. But you know, when Chris Samney gets to do like a fucking unbelievably gorgeous high budget version of fill in the blank here, I'm like, part of me is like, okay, I'll shut my mouth. You know, you've you've just reminded me, Chris Samney's announcement is is lovely this week. Did you see it? I did. Although you should repeat it because I feel like I was confused. He's doing at least one, if not two, creator-owned works. Yeah, well, he's doing – so he's already announced the creator-owned book he's doing with Robert Kirkman for Image. Right. Which is called Firepower and is basically what if Iron Fist dot dot dot. Right. Sorry. Uh, and then there's the other one. Which he announced this week, which is a book that he is drawing and co-writing with his wife. Matt um, Wilson's coloring it and it's for kids. Wow. Uh, and it's called Vonna and the Unpossible Monsters. Oh, right. And that sounds awesome. Yeah. And it's basically prehistoric young girl and her older sister go searching for their missing father. Mm. And have adventures and there are monsters. Right. Right. And what's funny is when Firepower was announced, I was like, it's fucking Chris Samney. I love Chris Samney. But that story looks terrible. <laughs> right. Because it does. It, I mean, it sure. really just looks like Iron Fist. Yeah. Right? Except this time, instead of becoming like onto a thing of iron, it goes on fire. Right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Great. But I saw this one thing and I was like, oh, there's a Chris Samney book I can buy and like. Oh, great. Oh, whew, what a relief. Also, Graham, someday you and I need to have a talk about how Iron Fist is not an inherent pejorative. Because... Um, no, but but at the same time, if whatever, like for example, I also think that when they do Moonlight, Moon Knight, and Marvel, and they're like, he's Batman, right? Like I want a and blah blah blah. So saying like it's Iron Fist, it's not enough, right? It's like okay, and what? I'm like, and with Chris Samney drawing it, I don't know, man. I don't, I don't know, Graham. I see your point. And perhaps the fact that we are in um, something not unlike mutual agreement means that it's time for this episode to think about wrapping itself up, eh? Is, is it, did you become Canadian for a second? I, 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 I can't say that I didn't. Um, yeah, it's... <laughs> it's... Oh, 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 Jeff. We, we've got, we've, we've got oh, at least Jeff. a good six or seven minutes, I think, to close things down before you start buzzing. Sure, so, it seems so I'm going to gonna say uh, you can find show notes for this episode on waitwhatpodcast.com. There's a Tumblr, waitwhatpod.tumblr.com. There's an Instagram, instagram.com forward slash waitwhatpod, both of which I swear to God I'm going to get better about updating. I really, really am going to try and do that. Um, there's a Twitter account at Wait What Podcast. Jeff has a Twitter account at LazyBasted at L-A-Z-Y-B-A-S-T-I-D. I have a Twitter account at Graham M. That's G-R-A-E-M-E-M. And this podcast, like, let's be honest, many other podcasts, is supported by a Patreon. Jeff, talk about it. <laughs> I was, I was like, like many other podcasts, I'm like, oh shit, did we stamps.com come through for us? Do we have to start talking about Casper? What is is have podcasts basically turned all to Patreon? Are they? Is it? All I just I just thing? know there are many other pod, uh, Patreon supported podcasts, but also Casper Casper mattresses. Let me tell you, I've once opened a Casper mattress, and I have to tell you two things: one, that when they get delivered, they are heavier than matter itself. <laughs> it's 
fucking shocking how heavy a Caterpillar mattress is. <laughs> Secondly, you open it up and it's in plastic, and you open the box up and it's plastic, and you cut the plastic open and it comes in contact with the air, and it's astonishing. Really? I just want like seven and just keep opening them and watching them unfold. That sounds awesome. Oh, gosh, it, there must be video online of that because I would love to watch that. But anyway, yeah, I'm sorry, we're talking about Patreon, Jeff. Oh, shit. Hey, everyone. So uh, we really, honestly, we are incredibly grateful to all of our listeners for the way that you keep us excited, motivated, and, um, you know, uh, speculating rampantly about comics industry matters at uh, 8, 9 o'clock at night on a Saturday night. What could be what could be better in life? Really, honestly. Uh and we're also super grateful to the people on Patreon who not only do so, but throw us a little bit of their hard-earned dosh uh, every month, um, keeping us inspired, motivated, uh, able to to turn around and buy that Ineo Asano um, manga the, the, the very day it comes out uh, in a digital, which I got to admit was great. Didn't even have to think <laughs> about it. Um, so, uh, you know, things like uh, Baxter Building, Drock, uh, you know, uh, the, I've got another edition of the uh, Wait What Comic Book Club coming up for Patreon subscribers next week. If I can get my act together. Jesus, God, let me hope that I can. So we're incredibly grateful to all of you. We thank you very much. Um and special shout out uh, in that thanks goes to Empress Quadri, Queen of the Galaxy, to whom we're especially grateful for her continuing support of this podcast, this neck of the uh, realm. Um, how did Empress Audrey treat that news about um, Dan Didio? We don't know. How did she react when it found out that Mark Wade was publishing uh, publisher of Humanoids? We can only guess, but I'm 99% certain she was very happy when the uh, Legionnaire, Legion five years later omnibus got announced just the other week. I bet she was pretty darn happy about that. Graham? That was a great little tease. Jeff, you teasy little motherfucker. <laughs> um, we are going to be back in a couple of weeks with the Wait What. Am I correct in saying that? I think I am, right? You absolutely are. And yeah, we, we'll... Like, we'll hmm? I was going to say... My understanding, and this could change, next week, skip week, the week after that, wait, what? After that, another skip week, because ECCC, then, uh, back to our continued... A, a, then a drug. Then a drug. Then a wait, what? Yep. And then, at that, that point... That's what we're going to do. Yeah. That's exactly what the hell we're going to do, everyone. Yep. D- just, just embrace it. Yep. So yeah, next week, just take a break, you guys. Take yeah, it easy. You deserve just, it. Just don't, don't... Yeah, you do. I mean, just, I mean, look at yourself in the mirror. Don't you just seem a little bit tired? Just take it easy. Take a break. Yeah. Honestly. Sit down. Read some and then, then come, come back refreshed. Yep. Renewed. And maybe, why not, maybe by that time, you'll be the publisher of DC Comics. <laughs> Bye! 10 out of 10! Landing! The Russian judges are going wild. Look at those marks. Oh my god.